Um, we're going to continue our worship together uh, today by opening up God's word. Uh, and let's be hopeful and prayerful that the Holy Spirit speaks through it uh, and that we learn uh, from, from the word today. I want to remind us, uh, even if you've been here from, from the very beginning, um, that a couple weeks ago we began a journey in the book of First Peter. Uh, and what we know is that the Apostle Peter, a close disciple and friend of Jesus, writes this incredible letter. He, he writes it to Christians to help them, uh, to encourage them to stand firm in the midst of trials, persecution, uh, and heartache. And what we ha- have, have seen already once um, in, in this text uh, but what we'll see throughout this letter is that Peter refers to followers of Jesus as, as exiles, as, as sojourners or, or foreigners. He says that we are exiles in this world, meaning that this world where we all live right now is not actually our home. And so because that is true, uh, Peter is trying to help us know how to live here By having a proper view of ourselves and a proper view of God. You know, I think a lot of us here um, understand, right? Very personally, actually. We understand that just in general, being a foreigner, living in 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 a land that's not your home, can be hard, really difficult at times. Um, even if you, you're, you're Korean and you live here in Korea, if you've traveled at all, you know that to be true as well. Right? Things are, are different. Uh, the food, the language, uh, cultural expectations. And sure, of course, you know, there are similarities. People are people, just in general. You know, but a lot of times, it can be a real struggle being away from home. And so again, Peter says, that's your reality um, on this earth if you're a follower of Jesus. Uh, your home is with God if you're a Christian. And so what does that mean? What does that look like for us? Well, enter first Peter. Um, in our, in our ter- first two weeks, uh, wh- where we've been sort of, is we, we've covered verses one through five. And we're going to touch back on those verses briefly during the teaching today. But if you, if you missed those, uh, those last two Sundays, you can certainly go back and, and listen. Um, I encourage you to do that because... Peter really does follow a progression here, especially in the beginning of of his letter. Uh, But today, we're going to be covering verses 6 through 9. So if you have a Bible, uh, you can turn there with me now, 1 Peter 1, 6 through 9. Uh, But before we we do read the text, let's uh, play a really short, really short little game. It's actually just going to be a one-question game. Um, Have you ever ever seen those things like... um, which one doesn't belong. Um, or I remember as a kid uh, watching Sesame Street and, and Elmo. Remember that's, there's that song, there's that game. Um, one of these things is not like the other, right? There's even a little like melody or tune that goes along with that. One of these things is not like the other. Well, let's, let's do that. Uh, I'm going to give you three words and you tell me which one uh, you think doesn't fit. All right? Faith. Joy, trials. Three words. Which one doesn't belong? Which one is not like the other? Faith, 
joy and trials. I'm going to pretend like you answered your, your TV or your computer or your phone and, and nod my head and said, you're right. Because, um, uh, of course, our, our gut instinct, I think, would be the word trials, right? The, the word trials doesn't really seem to belong here, right? We, we wouldn't naturally look at these words, faith, trials, and, and joy, and, 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 and believe that they all fit together. You know, faith and joy, sure, right? That makes sense, at least in Christian circles. But, but, but trials as an important part of our faith, uh, or joy as a state of mind uh, in the midst of trials, that's much harder to see. But in our text today, we're going to see the Spirit of God actually bring those three words together. And last week, we, we sort of began a, ter- a direction towards that when we looked at verses 3 through 5. Uh, Peter talks there about the beginnings of our faith, or he uses the term being born again to a, to a new life, a, a new faith, a new way of understanding the world. But then today, from that beginning, uh, we're going to see Peter talk about the persevering of that faith. And more specifically, we're going to explore how our faith, when it's tested, can actually become more and more precious to us. In other words, uh, what I see God doing in our passage today is showing us that our faith can be an increasingly precious and joyful faith, not in spite of various trials, but actually because of various trials. So, so whereas the world and our culture does everything it can to, to avoid hardships, to, to suppress all forms of trials, what we're going to see today from Peter is him wonderfully bringing faith, trials, and joy together. And so let's read this passage uh, together, and then we're going to dig into it. Here's what Peter says, First Peter chapter 1, starting in verse 6. He says this, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, um, if I were writing about the preciousness, you know, the beauty and the glory of our faith, I'm not sure that I would begin like this. And I probably wouldn't start that conversation by talking about trials. Right? Again, look at how Peter starts. He says, in this you rejoice. And we're going to get to that in a minute. He, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. You know, and it's interesting to me, you know, Peter isn't, isn't making a, this contrast here. Let's be clear. He's not making this contrast here like, 
We, we have these present trials now, and, and then someday we'll have this amazing no trials time of joy, right? He isn't saying like, you know, man, you know, life really stinks right now, but just keep going because someday it'll all get better. He isn't doing that here. But what, Paul, what, what Peter is doing is, is sort of introducing, in a very real way, uh, this paradox for us on how we can greatly rejoice now in the midst of the trials that we face. That we can have a joyful faith, a precious faith, again, not in spite of, but because of the trials that we walk through. And so let's talk about that. And to do so, I want to show you three main aspects related to faith that comes out of this passage. And here's the first one in regards to real faith. Number one, we start here today. Number one, real faith is grounded in Jesus. Number one, real faith is grounded uh, in Jesus. Before we, we get to that, that point specifically, we, we need to even take a step back and just define faith. Right? Because I, I don't want to just assume we're all on the same, same page here. And thankfully, Peter actually gives us a really simple but, but wonderful definition of it right here. Look down to verse 8 in our passage, the very beginning of it. He says this, Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. And certainly we see similar things about faith throughout the scriptures. You might recall Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where the writer says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So you see the parallel there? But even Jesus himself, after the resurrection, you remember the story, he's speaking to Thomas, and he says to Thomas, he says to him in John chapter 20, Verse 29, he says, have you believed because you have seen me, Thomas? Remember, he, he tells Thomas, take your finger and, and place it into my, my nail print, right into my hand or his wrist. Place it there. It's me. He says, have you believed because you've seen me, because you've touched me, Thomas? And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So we're getting at issues of faith and, and belief here. And the fact of this is that all of faith centers around the person of Jesus Christ. And for all of us here or, or watching online, if you are a follower of Jesus, we're in that category that Jesus talked about. You know, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed, right? That's all of us because we've never seen Jesus face to face. And yet for so many of us, faith is a, is a real part of our life. We have this, this faith that Peter says that, that loves Jesus. We have this faith that is a, a sure hope in the fulfillment of the promises of Jesus, both now and for the future. But I want to I draw your attention to, uh, uh, it, the, the point I want to draw your attention to is that, that faith here has, has a particular focus, a specific 
object. You know, faith, when we talk about it as followers of Jesus, it's not a blind faith, right? Nor, nor is it a type of faith that just this kind of like um, arbitrary, wishful thinking, like, I really hope, I just really hope uh, that, that this thing happens, right? That's not faith. That's not the faith that we see in the scriptures. See, see faith is, is grounded. True faith is grounded in Jesus, right? That's why Peter says, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see, again, him, you believe in him. You get that? Four times in 20 words, Peter says him. And who is him here? We know it. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And so Peter is rooting this this classic, simple statement of faith in him, in Christ. And so we start there. For, for, For your or my faith to be real, for it to be true faith, it must have as its object Jesus Christ. And what God has done in Christ for us, we, we see this going back to verse 6. Again, Peter writes, he begins our text this way, in this you rejoice. In this you rejoice. And what's the this there? <laughs> well, this is referring back to, to verses 3 through 5, what we talked about last week to the glorious work of God on, on behalf of his sons and daughters to, to cause them to be born again, right? That was all last week, right? Peter said, bless God, bless him according to his mercy. And so now Peter is pointing back to that here in verse six. He's saying faith needs to be rooted in God's mercy, in Christ, in the reality of God sending Jesus to bear the wrath of God against our sin. And faith also needs to be rooted in God's causing us to be born again. Born again through the work of Jesus on the cross, substituting himself in our place, paying the price that we need to be uh, that we needed to pay. We should have paid to be reconciled back to God. It's pointing back here also to God giving us a living hope through the resurrection of Christ. That because Jesus rose, our hope rests on him. But not only that, it's faith that's rooted in the reality that we have this full share of an inheritance as sons and daughters that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled, and being kept for us by God. And so when Peter says, in this we rejoice, this is what he's saying, that we remember him and his work. That needs to be the object of what you believe in. It's not ambiguous, right? Our faith is rooted and grounded in Christ. It's rooted in all that Jesus is for you and I. And I just, I just say that strongly as we begin sort of today. I just say that strongly because we need to get this right. 
right? Before we get to the the glory of this, the, the joy and the preciousness of our faith, we have to get faith right. Because any other kind of faith, faith that's in any other object won't last. It's not real faith. And it won't stand up to the testing that Peter is talking about here in our text today. It'll fail. That type of faith will fail. So we get our grounding there. Uh, Real faith is grounded in Jesus. That's the rock that we're going to stand on to understand the rest of this text. Well, then that brings us to our second main idea about faith from this passage, which is this. Number two, real faith is tested and found to be precious. Number two, real faith is tested and found to be precious. Look again with me back to verse six. Uh, Peter said, in this you rejoice. Then he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. Uh, So hang with me here. Uh, This is the tested part where we explore the, the question, what does it mean? What does it mean to be tested? What kind of trials are we, are we talking about here? Because here, Peter gives us pointers to the nature of the trials that we will face. And I think uh, there are a few here. What I see, first of all, about our trials is that they are diverse. That our trials are diverse. Again, he says we have been grieved by various trials, which just, which just, which just means that trials are going to come at us from from all over the place, all different parts and places, we're going to have trials. For example, right, we're going to have physical trials, which means that you might get sick, right? You might break a bone or even more severe, right? Even more severe. There could be things in your life like, like a miscarriage or, or, or cancer, right? Deep, uh, grievous things. Or, or perhaps you'll face a spiritual trial in, in your life, like a deep, uh, deep temptation to sin or, or persecution against you or slander because of what you believe, because of your faith. Right? We could sit here all day long and think about and talk about all these various trials. There are all sorts of them, a diversity of them. But what's interesting is that in general, Peter also says, another component to our, our trials, is that they are temporary. He says that they're temporary That's why he says there, though now for a little while, a little while, right? And I'm sure, I'm sure some of you have been through really lengthy trials in your life. Maybe for some of you, you even have a real chronic issue, uh, like something that you've been facing your entire life. And so like up to now, the entirety of your life has been hard, but even so we need to trust this, that when Peter says this, he knows for sure that even lifelong trials, right? Trials that you might face throughout the duration of your entire life, they are short, temporary, in comparison to the promise that we have of eternity. That's why the Holy Spirit also said through the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 16 through 17, Paul says this, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, 
our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Right? So, so wait a minute. Did you hear that? Right? Our body says our bodies are wasting away. And Paul says that that's a, he calls it a light momentary affliction. Right? He could say that our bodies are wasting away, but yet they're just a light momentary affliction. Yes, he can say that. And why? He says it there because there, that, that affliction, that light affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And we're, we're seeing here Peter argue a similar point. And so again, we need to understand our trials. Here's the point here. We need to understand our trials in the grand scope, in the grand scheme of God's purposes for us. So we have the, we have the nature of our trials here. They're, they're diverse. They're relatively temporary. We also see here in our text that they are necessary. They are necessary. Again, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary. Now, that's a pretty interesting two-word phrase there. And so what's going on with that? Well, you could, you could think of it like this. Peter was saying something like this. Though now for a little while, if it is God's will that they be so. If it's God's will that those trials be so. And there are a couple things I think we can pull from this. First, not all of us will suffer all the time. Okay? I think that's good news. Not all of us will suffer all the time. Right? Not all of us will face trials all the time. Um, maybe right now you're in a really good season. You're, you're in a mountain season right now, and there's no real trials in your life. That's good. Okay? Amen for that. Um, but what we also see here is, is there will be times, and I believe this is for all of us, that there will be times when for the strengthening of our faith, for the sharpening of our obedience, for the greater uh, treasuring of, of Christ and, and, and God's desire for us to cling on to Jesus, for the glory of God, various trials will come. And so while there are so many things that, that we go through that are difficult, um, I believe that we can take comfort here knowing that there is, there is always purposefulness to what God is doing. That actually God never makes a mistake. And listen, that's not to downplay your or my trials at all. Peter says, you have been grieved. You've been grieved. And that's strong. That's a very strong word there. In other words, he's saying, he, he, he's confessing, he's, he's admitting, I, I understand, right? Sympathizing, empathizing with you. There's been great great deep distress in your life, right? Trials are real. They're hard. They're painful. They impact our lives in very real ways. But at the same time, they are purposeful. At the same time, God is working in them. And that means that God has a plan even in our pain. And Peter assures us of that. 
that there is a sovereign purposefulness to our trials and it's tied to our faith. And that's exactly what we see in verse seven. Peter says, all these things happen. All of our trials take place, he says, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, let's skip the dash portion for a moment, so that the tested genuineness of your faith may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And then he defines the precious genuineness of our faith by saying that it's more precious than gold that perishes, though it's tested by fire. Now, um, in that sentence, there's a lot. There's a lot here. But let's slow down just for a minute and reflect on this. Let's reflect on these truths. This concept here, the tested genuineness of your faith, um, is actually a common theme in the Bible. It's all over the scriptures, actually. Job spoke of it uh, in chapter 23, verse 10, when he said this. He says, when he, that's God, when he has tried me, I shall come out as gold. Or, or Psalm 66.10, for you, O God, have tested us. You have tried us as silver is tried. Now, let's, let's think about this illustration of, of gold here. Okay, let's think about gold. If you know anything about gold, you know that that gold is is heated to extreme, extreme temperatures to separate impurities that have been found or that have found their way into them. Um, And so when you pick gold out of the ground, right, if you dig out gold, we know, right, it's not pure, right? There's blemishes. And so to make it pure, what happens is the process is that... um, the gold will be heated up. It's put into a fire. And as the gold melts, what happens is those impurities that are in that gold, what what they'll do is they will surface to the top. They rise up. They come out to the top of the gold so they can be easily skimmed out. And then what's left for you is, is pure gold. So I think you might see where Peter is going with this, why he uses this illustration in relationship to, to our faith. See, there are often other things, sometimes other people, that we trust more than we trust Jesus, or at least that we trust alongside of Jesus and kind of give equal weight to. And so for some of us, right, it's Jesus plus someone or something else in my life. Like, it's, it's Jesus and my job that I put my faith in. It's Jesus plus my health. That's where my hope is found. It's Jesus plus a life with no stress, right? That's where I get my peace. And actually, it can be more, more subtle than that, right? Maybe you're, you're trusting Jesus or you decided to trust Jesus from the very start in the first place because you wanted, to, you wanted comfort in this life. Right? Maybe you decided to follow Jesus because you thought that it would lead uh, to a life of you getting a bunch of things. Sort of like Jesus is some sort of genie for you. 
Right? But you see, if, if your faith is tied to or rooted in any of those things, Jesus plus something else, right? it's an impure faith. And so for our sake, for our benefit, for our good, to test that, we face trials. Or you might say it this way, as one author, I think, really, really nicely put it. He said, the trials of life test our faith to prove our sincerity. Say that again. The trials of life test our faith to prove our sincerity. And that's Peter's tested genuous idea here, right? We are tested to see if our faith is in the right place, to reveal the genuineness of it. And of course we know, right? We know this. Uh, sadly, sometimes, that for some, right, their faith is found uh, to not be genuine. For some of us, our faith, when it's tested, it's found to be real and, and true, right? It's persevering. But for others, when they face hard times, right, they, they just fall away. Deep trials come, and following Jesus isn't, it just is not worth it, right? And their faith is exposed in that. True faith, true faith, genuine faith, real faith, is meant to have a single object, Jesus Christ himself. And it has a single goal, the glory of God in Christ. And so that's sort of the second part of this. Yes, trials help us understand the realness of our faith, but also our trials ultimately lead to glory and honor. And we see this really clearly, actually, in Isaiah chapter 48, where God says this. He says, Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. And then he gives the reason why he does this. And it might surprise us. He says this, For my own sake. And then he doubles down. For my own sake. That's not a typo. He says it twice. For my own sake. For my own sake, I do it. For how should my name be profaned? Listen, my glory I will not give to another. So God says there needs to be a tested genuineness to your faith. Because not only is your faith at stake, but so is his glory. So is his glory. And so in a a real sense, there is a testedness to our faith, and that testedness produces glory, which makes our faith more and more precious. Going back to to the gold image really quick, here's what we also know. When when the temperature increases for gold, uh, again, you know, it's heated up, temperature rises. There's this purification that takes place. Right? There's a separation that happens between what is pure and impure. There's a, a discovery of what is sound and what is good. But here, here's the thing. When you heat up gold, it actually decreases in weight. Because why? Well, because really simply, we're pulling things or you're pulling things out of it. And actually, if you heat up gold too much at too high of a temperature... The gold can just disappear and melt away altogether. But Peter is saying here that faith, 
when faith is tested and tried, when the fire comes, all that pain and disappointment and hardship, it actually grows. It deepens. It's actually, our faith is actually strengthened by trials and afflictions. That these things uh, help us become more and more like the person of Jesus Christ because we are being refined more and more into his image. And when that happens, that brings God glory. And so genuine faith, if it's real faith, it's centered on Jesus and it will not perish. It will not melt away. We'll say it that way. No matter how severe the trial, it will always prove more genuine, more deep, stronger, more enduring until we, until we return to our true home. And that enduring, tested, tried faith is, wor- is worthy. It's worthy of glory and honor for God and before God. And that means that a, that a tested faith is precious. So precious. I love what the great uh, preacher Charles Spurgeon said about this. Uh, he wrote this about our tested faith. He says this, Indeed, listen to this, it is the honor of faith to be tried. Shall any man say, I have faith, but I have never had to believe under difficulties? Who knows whether thou hast any faith? Shall a man say, I have great faith in God, but I have never had to use it in anything more than the ordinary affairs of life, where I could probably have done without it as well as with it? Is this to the honor and praise of thy faith? Dost thou think that such a faith as this will bring any great glory to God or bring to thee any great reward? If so, thou art mightily mistaken. The trials of life test our faith to prove our sincerity. And so, as Spurgeon says, it's actually an honor. It's an honor to go through trials in this life. Well, uh, then we sort of get to the end of our, of our journey today with the point here, number three, that real faith produces inexpressible joy. Number three, real faith produces inexpressible joy. That is joy that is full of glory. Look at verse eight. Look at verse eight. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him. Now remember, this was Peter's uh, simple statement about faith. And then he adds this to the end of it. He says, and because of that, you will do what? He says, rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. In other words, you won't be able to find words to express how joyful your heart is at what Christ has done for you in the tested genuineness of your faith in him. It's a joy that is without words and filled with glory. 
And so let's be really clear this morning, especially as we talk about trials, right? Um, having faith in Christ is not just like a drudgery, right? Uh, the, the life of faith is not one where we're just supposed to sort of grit our teeth and bear through it, just waiting in misery for our lives to be finished, right? Not at all. That's not the life of faith, right? We know, we know that God has created you and I for communion with him. And though our sin separated us from that relationship, we know, thank God, we know Jesus came to restore it. And in that restoration, he comes and says, I want to give you life. I want to give you life that is full of joy, a life that is full. And that's not joy eventually. That's joy now. It's not just a little bit of joy, but a fullness of joy. Again, that is inexpressible, Peter says. It's so much joy that you and I, there's no human words. We can't even describe it. We can't even explain it. That's what faith looks like when the object of your faith is Jesus. There is heavenly joy that cannot be explained in that faith. You know, and I, and I thought about this as well this week. You know, while we certainly can't describe this joy, as, as Peter says, we certainly can taste it, right? We can experience it. And that's what we see with our salvation too, right? We talked about this a little bit last week, that we can taste and see that the Lord is good. That's how we, we can know this joy, right? We see, him, uh, we see him faithful. We see him there in all of our suffering, in all of our trials, We see that he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. That he won't just let us collapse and and break, right? Because he is is faithful. I see him guiding me through through the valleys of life. And, And because of that, we can say or we can rejoice and say, God is good. Jesus is my hope. And we know this. Because you haven't, seen this, or, or, and we know this, I should say, because we've seen certain people in our lives with this type of joy, right? At least I hope so, this observable joy, right? I can think for myself, at least, of, of one particular older woman uh, that I met in Korea. It was probably five or six years ago. Um, she lives down closer to Busan. Um, a, a friend and I were, were going down uh, to meet her, and, and I had heard from my friend uh, that she was a, a prayer warrior, just a woman of, of intense, purposeful, intentional prayer. Uh, her life is just full of prayer. Hours and hours a day she, pre- she spends praying. And I'm not even exaggerating here, right? This isn't just for like a, a sermon point or, or a sermon illustration, right? Um, there's no exaggeration to what I'm about to say. But when we got to the place uh, where we were meeting her, I remember we, we walked in. And again, this is a woman, this is a, a person, an older woman I, I'd never met uh, in, my, in, my, in my life. But when I saw her for the first time, and when she looked at me, 
All she did was just look to me, just look directly in, uh, into my eyes. I, I was shocked because I actually started to cry. And I actually started to cry. Um, still to this day, I can't describe it with words. But I could actually see. I could actually see. I could actually feel the spirit of the living God in her and on her life. I could see a person who had a faith that was deeply grounded in Jesus. I could see a faith that had been tested, tried, and made pure. And then as we, we sat down and we were, we were having tea and, and talking with her, even as she spoke, there was just a certain posture there was a, a certain tone in her voice that when she talked about the Lord, there was just a, a preciousness to it. As she described uh, who God is and all that he had been and all that he had done for her. See, church family, when you have a, a joyful, tested, genuine faith, you can read what, what Peter shares here about various trials, and you can actually get excited about the trials that are to come or the trials that you're currently going through. And why? Because again, because these tests, these hardships, all the difficulties that we face as exiles and sojourners in this world, they prove the character of our faith. You see, when you and I understand that the purpose of our trials is to refine us, to perfect us, then our trials will actually, they actually can become a great joy to us. When we understand that our trials are, are actually helping us become more like the person of Jesus Christ, we can, we should rejoice in our trials. And let's understand as well, Peter doesn't write these things here without experience. He's not writing these things sort of distant from what he's writing. He understood this personally. You might recall, but very early on at the start of the church, in the beginnings of the church, the apostles are actually put in prison because of their faith in Jesus. Right? The Jews sort of capture them, arrest them, They put them in a public prison. And look at Acts chapter 5, verse 40 through 42. This council uh, of high-ranking Jewish officials comes together. And this is what it says. And when they had called in the apostles, they beat them. That's the word, by the way, flogged them. They flogged them. Same word that's used uh, for Jesus before he's put on the cross. Tied him Right to a stake, and they flogged him, beat, beat them, lashes, 39 lashes, if you, if you read the historical record of what that looked like. They beat them and, and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. Verse 41. Then they left the presence of the council, look at this, rejoicing, that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name, for the name of Jesus. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ 
is Jesus. That the Messiah was Jesus. Peter was there. He was there. He's one of them there. Peter was there rejoicing in his suffering, in his trials. Why? Because it was proving his faith and helping him to be like and to look more like his Savior, Jesus Christ. And so Peter starts this letter by telling us that as as followers of Jesus, as people who have been born again, we have been given a faith that never fades away. We have been given a faith that is protected by the power of God. A faith that is proven, tested, and strengthened, actually, through trials. A faith, we've been given a faith that is designed to bring God glory. And this faith that, that we've been given, that we have, it's a faith that loves Jesus. And the outcome of that? The outcome of that will be the obtaining of the final salvation of your souls. That's what Peter says in verse 9. In other words, you will be with Jesus in the kingdom. You will be in your true home. Real faith that's rooted in Jesus, it is a faith that is tested. It's a faith that is tested. But even so, we will find it to be precious, and we will experience unspeakable joy through it. Because through our tried faith, we know we are truly his, and God gets so much glory. Amen? Let's pray together.